The Truth News Network. Remember when Al Gore told us he took illegal campaign contributions from China and admitted he knew they were illegal, but that there was no enforcing authority, so he did it anyway? When the law is ignored because there is no force to stand in the way, you're not living in a republic. You're living in exactly the same country the fathers of this country escaped from. It's time to push back. And that starts with the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. That would be me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Tuesday, big days going on this week. It looks like uh, as we end July, and we're just almost out of July, that Washington, D.C. is heating up. Now, they got to go a long way to heat up like it's heating up in the south. And I know it's hot everywhere else, but folks up in the northeast and up in the upper Midwest, and especially out in California where there's never any humidity. Humidity in Louisiana, what's it like? Let me tell you what it's like. Literally, you can get out of the shower with your towel, dry off with your towel. Your towel, of course, takes the water off your body that you put in it. Hang that towel up to quote-unquote dry. (laughs) It doesn't. Uh, the water from your shower may evaporate out of it, but the humidity is right there to jump on in there. When it's 100 degrees in Louisiana, it's like being 120 degrees in other parts of the country where they call 60-70% humidity high. Oh my gosh. When we perspire, it drenches us and it stays there. Now, I know that sounds a little gross, but I just want you to understand, not complaining, this is Louisiana, Cajuns and all of us across the state of Louisiana. We understand that. We grew up here, we live here, and we do so by choice. Uh, I've, I've, I've been all over the country a lot. I love, I just love the Southwest, and I like Las Vegas. We had a big client out there for a number of years. I spent a lot of time there, played golf with clients, etc., And they would gripe when they had 20% humidity. I teed off in a golf tournament on July 4th one year with a hospital CFO. And on the first tee, they waited until it warmed up. Well, cooled up, whatever they want to call it there. And when we teed off, it was 112. Now, let me just say this. For those of you that uh, you love dry weather and all that kind of stuff, I understand. I do. You don't sweat. You don't have to deal with perspiration and those uh, humidity things that we do in the South. But I don't care where you are. 115 degrees. It's too darn hot to get out and play golf in. So did I just screw up your day talking about how bad the humidity and heat are in Louisiana in combination well, we choose to be here. And so nobody has any right to gripe about it. I'm not griping about it. I'm just trying to draw a correlative between living in Louisiana and living in Las Vegas or Arizona or even some of our upper northeast states that own on the water, own on the ocean. You don't have humidity like we do. And we have crawfish and beignets too. <laughs> By the way, which I had, I had some. I wish I had some now. Crawfish season begins in May and it ends in late June. And for those of you that you've heard about or seen, or maybe you've participated in a crawfish boil, 
somewhere in Louisiana, and you don't quite understand what happens as the crawfish season progresses. Early in the season, the crawfish are typically smaller. They're just in their growing season. Later in the season, early in the season, again, it's like May, maybe even late February, March, April, but they begin to grow in size. But let me just tell you this. It's got good and bad in it because the older they get, the darker red their shells get. And what does that mean? They're getting thicker. And so you got to find a medium where they're uh, easier to peel, but they're not little bitty. You know what I mean? The older, it's just like anything that grows up. As it grows up, it gets bigger. But as it grows up, it gets a little tougher on the outside. And so you've got to pick your point where it's just right. That's a lesson for those of you that come to Louisiana or are thinking about coming. Louisiana food is some of the best in the nation, even around the world. And I've, I've sat on the water in Kuala Lumpur and Singapore. And uh, uh, I've been all over Europe. Good food over there, but you can't compare with the food of Louisiana and come out with any determination other than Cajuns got it right when it comes to food. Prove me wrong. (laughs) Hey, listen, thanks for being here today. Let me just look ahead at the rest of the week. We have special guests on live with us on the show tomorrow, on the show Thursday, and on the show again on Friday. And these are people that you want to share with us. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about tomorrow's guest later in the show, but it's somebody that's plugged in, somebody that has great insight and great history behind them regarding what's going on in our government, our healthcare system. You don't want to miss it. And Steve Baker's coming back later this week. If you've read the story, the front page story today at truthnewsnet.org, he today revealed an expose of the bald-faced lies that are coming out of the January 6th committee. New ones every day. But the spokesperson that is just caught again and again and again lying, is chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson. I'm not going to go into the article. I want you to read it. Again, it's at the front page of truthnewsnet.org. Truthnewsnet.org. And the title of the piece is The Ball-Faced Lies of January 6th Committee Chairman Benny Thompson. Steve Baker, the phonojournalist, it's been here quite quite a few times. He'll be back with us on the show on, let me get it straight now, Thursday or Friday. Hold on just a second. Yeah, I'll come to the show prepared. (laughs) Okay, Andy Wakefield will be with us tomorrow. I'll tell you more about Andy later in the show. Steve Baker's on Thursday. Both of those guys at the bottom of the first hour. And a really big plugged-in guest that uh, is amazing. You've probably heard of him, George Wood. He'll be with us on Friday, and we are waiting to hear, but our buddy Congressman Mike Johnson, he sent out a smoke signal saying he he would be with us later this week, and that means it would have to be tomorrow, Thursday, or Friday, right? So make sure you're here. Make sure you're here every day. We thank you for doing that and joining us. Big, big news today. Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley, he's the oldest guy in Congress. I really have a lot of respect for him. 
And he announced this yesterday, which he never does. He never announces anything. George Webb is coming later in the week. I'm sorry, on Friday. Back to Chuck Grassley. He said yesterday, highly credible whistleblowers, not one, but multiple whistleblowers, say that the FBI, the Department of Justice, have been and are downplaying negative Hunter Biden information. Now, before we get into this, this new whistleblower information, what is this all feeding into? I mean, we've hearing every day, Hunter, 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 Hunter. And Americans are growing tired of it. We know the guy is messed up. We know he's been involved in seedy things. We understand all of that. But it's just like every other Democrat in government that gets in power and gets in trouble. And then we hear about it every day, a new chapter, some new bombshell revelation. And then nothing happens. Just the little bit that you and I know about Hunter Biden, he's got so much stuff in his background. If it was you or me in his position today, we'd be under a jail or maybe under a jail and having five or six others looking for us to take us to their jails. According to letters that have been reviewed by CBS News, Chuck Grassley, who's a ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, he wrote FBI Director Chris Ray and Attorney General Merrick Garland. He's alleging, Grassley is, that sources within the FBI presented to him evidence of attempts to downplay or discredit information about Hunter. The information provided to my office, Grassley said, involves concerns about the FBI's receipt and use of derogatory information relating to Hunter, and the FBI's false portrayal of acquired evidence as disinformation. The volume and consistency of these allegations substantiate their credibility and necessitate this letter that he's writing to Chris Ray and Merrick Garland. Should I wait and let you hear this from some other source? Nah, it's early. We got an hour and 50 minutes, so let's look at this right here. First, there's an allegation from inside the FBI that the FBI developed information back in 2020 about Hunter's criminal, financial, and related activity. Further alleged that in August of that year, 2020, FBI Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Alton. Now, wait a minute. We're getting informants, whistleblowers out of the FBI, and they're not anonymous? <laughs> well, this is a Republican giving this information to us. Therefore, Republicans name names. Brian Alton opened an assessment which was used by FBI headquarters team to improperly discredit negative Hunter Biden information as disinformation. And that caused investigative activity to stop. Wow, there's further allegations that just a month before the 2020 election, an avenue of derogatory Hunter Biden reporting was ordered to be closed by a senior FBI agent at the Bureau's Washington field office. The allegations provided to my office appear to indicate there was a scheme in place among certain FBI officials to undermine derogatory information connected to Hunter by falsely suggesting 
It was disinformation. So what any Democrat, any Democrat that has a title, has a D after their name, or even some bureaucratic Democrat, when they go out and say something, they want to stop investigating, stop looking at it, change the narrative, all they have to do is say it was disinformation. That's the dog whistle for the left. Everybody in the chain, media, politicians, Everybody, when they hear somebody high up as a Democrat use the term disinformation about something, that's their dog whistle sign, shut it down. And if anybody, when they bring it up, just say, hey, it's proven. It's disinformation. CBS News, not the most um, conservative news outlet on the planet, I think you'll agree. They noted that more than 150 financial transactions involving Hunter or James Biden, their global business affairs, was flagged, and we brought this story to you earlier, U.S. banks for further review. What are those kind of financial transactions about? It's international money that's moving from place to place, and big numbers. I have a couple of foreign bank accounts for business, and there's there's hardly any money in either one of them, but nevertheless... Every time I have tried or I have moved money domestically, internationally, and used through those accounts, it sends up a flag just because it's something unusual. So that's not uncommon. But 150 of them, and it involves all 150, Hunter or Uncle James, when it quacks and waddles, it's usually a duck. Now, let's just for a second, we're going to stop here and we're going to end this up. I want to ask you a question. Do you honestly feel that if they find even more horrible information, more allegations against Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's only living son, do you think this Department of Justice, do you think that Christopher Wray, Merrick Garland, the FBI director and attorney general respectively, do you think they're going to drop the hammer on Hunter Biden? If you do, let me ask you this. What are you drinking or eating right before you go to bed? Because you must be one of those people that you can just turn off a switch and go to bed and forget about everything. It's like it doesn't matter and you don't care about it. So you sleep better than the rest of us. If you think that with Joe Biden as president and Christopher Wray still the FBI director, he was the FBI director under Trump, he was up to his eyeballs in all of the pro-Russian collusion stuff that was going on. He very regrettingly never came out and said anything that would implicate him in any way. But he's a cover guy. He is a bureaucratic Washington intelligence agency person. He's one of those he could serve in any capacity. He could serve as an attorney general. He's just one of those guys in the scheme. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And this will disappoint a bunch of you. And I'm not a prophet but I'm somebody who um, spends a lot of time looking for facts, and I know a bunch of you do the same, and that's why we're here together today. Hunter's not going to jail. 
Now, he could go to jail for a lot, a lot of reasons and spend a lot of time in jail. There is no way, no way, that Attorney General Merrick Garland, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and Daddy, President Joe Biden, will let this guy go to jail. So how are they going to clean all this up? Well, it's, it's so in our faces. There's no way to clean it up. Facts are all around, and most of us have seen all or parts of the horrible things that Hunter proved to the world he's been doing all along when daddy was vice president twice and then here as president he's had his fingers in pretty much everything nobody can even credibly say that the biden family syndicate's not real and that their fingers are not in business deals illegitimate if not illegal business deals that have been happening around the world for years hunter's a big key part in it and so is the big guy and more and more of that is coming out Why don't we hear mainstream media even discussing this? The obvious answer is the power brokers today are Democrats in the House of Representatives, which they control, Democrats in the Senate, which they control, Democrats in the White House, which they control, Democrats in the Department of Justice, which they control, Democrats in the FBI, which they control. When you control all of the places where triggers have to be tripped before anything can be done about anything. Don't you think that these people, you think they're going to let their underling, Hunter Biden, go to jail? Heck no. You're in the very near future, and it probably, for obvious reasons, won't happen until after the midterms. You're going to see Hunter Biden cut this massive plea deal And he'll probably pay some humongous fine and they'll give him a sentence that includes time in jail, but they'll waive it so he won't spend any time in jail. He'll get slapped on the hand and it's all going to be all over. Forget about the evidence that came out from that laptop and other things that we have discovered from that whole debacle. Every day almost, it seems like something new comes on. Of course, none of this is going to happen until after the midterms because they can't go into the midterms with all this out in the public eye and and look like they're really, really proponents of the rule of law if they somehow give Hunter Biden a pass for this. And it basically is going to be a pass. And it shocks nobody. But let's back up to the 10,000-foot level for a second. Don't you see how all of this that is playing out is destroying the structure, the foundation of the United States of America, the Biden family syndicate in mass with a bunch of other heavyweights that are far, far leftist, that are maybe not as powerful as the Hunter family, uh, the Joe family, as the Obama family, maybe not, maybe not have the same power, but you're plugged in and you write big checks. They're all on the same page for this. The Pelosi's even involved in this. They want to see Hunter get a pass. Why? Because they have a son in their family, Nancy and Paul, that has a speckled past and could have, on a couple of occasions, spent time behind bars. They like creating this scenario where they're all 
bulletproof. Therefore, that makes them better than you, smarter than you, more influential than you, and they know how to get away with anything. Therefore, they can look at us and just go, you little plebes, you just don't know. We know everything. We know at least a little bit about everything. And we're not going to tell you the stuff that you need to know so you could get the same uh, passes and opportunities that we do. Just sit down over there. This is the way life's going to be now. You have no say-so, no input. We control the media. We control big business. We control big pharma. And our big guy in the White House, he's right up there tit for tat with Xi Jinping in China, China, Vladimir Putin in Russia. We're going to take care of everything and everybody. And if you want to be part of that group that gets taken care of, sit down and shut up. I'm serious. That is what is going on in the world of Bidenville and the White House right now. Oh, by the way, Joe Biden's having a few symptoms with his COVID case. It's not just, you know, a little sneeze, a little cough. Now he's having problems with his throat. He's even having some breathing problems. And it's it's no big deal. I mean, yeah, that's the president of the United States that's having it. But they're obviously playing it down for political purposes. Oh, he's okay. Do you think it's happenstance that not one time as Joe Biden's doctor appeared before the White House press briefing and given us a report on the president's health condition like they planned and they demanded the media and the Democrats that happened during the Trump campaign because one time we saw Trump in leather shoes coming down a ramp in freezing weather outdoors up at West Point afterwards and he kept kind of slipping a little bit when he came down the ramp. They went crazy for days and days and days, just like they did when it was reported Donald Trump had COVID. Oh my gosh, they were all over. Yeah, he deserves that. He spit in the face of COVID all these months. He deserves to get sick. Get sicker and sicker and die, orange man. There were actually people on the left that were saying that. Two days, two days, and Donald Trump was back doing exactly what he was doing before. Joe Biden, everybody on the left are holding their breaths, not knowing what's going to happen to him because he's not getting better. They won't tell us he's getting better, and they certainly won't put the doctor out there to talk to us about him. And of course, he doesn't have to. There's a HIPAA thing there. But HIPAA information and health records can be released if the patient agrees to. And all Joe would have to say, y'all, y'all put the doctor out there. Let the media ask him questions. He's not saying that. Why? There's always a reason for anything that happens or doesn't happen in Democrat world in which you and I, we're immersed. Sometimes I don't like it. I don't know about you. And speaking of all things COVID-19 and bureaucratic power junkies, what about Napoleon? Anthony Fauci. (laughs) He's back. Yesterday's broadcast of Hill.TV's show called Rising, Fauci stated it's very, very clear that masks 
do work in prevention of acquisition and transmission. Now, that sentence, it is very, very clear that masks do work in prevention of acquisition and transmission of COVID-19. It's not true. It is not very clear that mask works. Every laboratory tested, I'm not even going to go there. We, we published over 20 laboratory tests throughout the pandemic that proved there's nothing, no mask out there that stops acquisition and transmission of COVID-19. But yesterday, Anthony didn't stop right there. He added this to his claim, his false claim, quote, but they have to be well-fitted and of a high quality, and the two we know are high quality are an N95 or KN95 mask. In every one of those laboratory tests I mentioned to you and that we have published here, every one of them said an N95 or a KN95 doesn't work stopping the transmission or the acquisition of COVID-19 unless the person that is wearing it, it's sealed and they are breathing oxygen through a sealed mask. In this interview, Fauci said this, quote, I think this masking situation is one that is really critical that would have been done differently, should have been done differently. First of all, we did not fully appreciate that a well-fitting mask is much, much better than a cloth mask and to wear a good mask The data now are very clear that masks are very good at preventing both the acquisition and transmission of infection. There was a lot of conflicting data back then as we were in the early months of 2020. Well, there was no conflicting data, Anthony, except the data that you put out on Monday as I'm the science and this is a fact according to science. And the next day you came back and you you abridged what you commanded on Monday, then Wednesday you came back and chuckled as you said, oh man, we're not sure about it yet, but it looks like it could help us, so we're going to recommend that you go down that road. That's what he did for two years. Wah, wah, wah. And everything that he said was absolute. Every single thing about COVID, he's been wrong. And he's the highest still today, the highest paid man legally paid man or woman in the U.S. government. Wow. It seems like to me, I don't know. Let me know if you feel the same way. Drop me a a text, 318-470-2879, And, uh, Tell me what you think about what I'm about to say. I'd like your opinion on it. It just seems to me like every day there are purposeful things that are being dropped into the media world. So they jump on them and they start reporting about them. And some of the stuff that yesterday and last week that they told us, oh, this is, this is the end of the world. If this doesn't happen, They want that to go away and for us to forget about it because they've got a new big deal they need to sell to the American people so we will forget about what happened last week. And there are so many moving parts in our government, in our public life, in the United States of America now. Who can keep 
their arms around all of it. It's impossible. And in the big news the last couple of days, have you heard a single word come out anywhere about the southern border crisis? Well, I've heard a mention or one or two there, but nothing substantive and not very much of anything. Have you heard of Clay Higgins? You remember, I guess it was four, maybe five years ago, television uh, on YouTube. This was a very popular YouTube channel to go to. It had to deal with a sheriff in South Louisiana in the parish, St. Landry Parish. And for those of you that are Louisianians, St. Landry Parish It uh, includes Opelousas. It's not a big parish, but a lot of people there, a lot of country people there, a lot of Cajun people there, and crime was getting rampant. Clay Higgins was a sheriff, and in these television ads, he appeared in the front of a crowd. The crowd was comprised of sheriff's deputies, his sheriff's deputies for that parish in that district of Louisiana. And he stood in front with an AR-15 in his hands. And behind him were those policemen, and they were standing in front of their their police cars and had heavy military equipment out behind them. In other words, they were showing, hey, look, we got the stuff to stop lawlessness, and we got the grit to stop lawlessness. And he even said in this commercial, you don't need to come here. If you're a criminal and you want to do something and get away with it, don't even think about coming here. Well, it made a huge major national impact, those videos. And so Clay Higgins, he decided he would run for Congress, and he is in Congress, the House of Representatives now. The other day, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas appeared before Clay Higgins' committee. And they were talking about the typical stuff down at the southern border, and they were asking the secretary questions. And he is nothing, but he just he just goes on and on over and over and over again saying the same things about the southern border. I don't even want to get into it. But Clay Higgins confronted Mayorkas, and he did it only in the way that a Cajun from South Louisiana can do. And this, what I'm about to let you listen in with me, to, it really struck home to me because Clay Higgins is a native South Louisianian. And the culture in South Louisiana, it's not just all about food, folks. The food there is untouchable in any other place on the, on the globe. Different food, cooked different ways. And very seldom can you go buy a cookbook about Cajun food and start looking at specific dishes that you want to you want to. Uh, maybe cook some of it. You've seen it somewhere. If you look at the recipe for each of those items in one recipe book, and then you look at the recipes in another cookbook on the same things, they're all going to have different methods to do it. Why is that? It's one of the beauties of Cajun food and Cajun cooking. It doesn't matter what the recipe is. When you start putting it together, you put it together and add this and take leave this out to the way you taste it. There is culture that is specific only to South Louisiana Cajuns. One of the things that I dearly love, my uh, stepfather, Papa Joe Huval, 
Um, he married my mother when he was 72. She was 36. And he was a very plugged-in political South Louisianian and was a very wealthy man. He started a bakery, a big bakery all over South Louisiana. I'm saying all that to say this. We had food all the time. Mom and him had a, uh, a, a live-in cook and a live-in maid, and Dorothy was the cook. And every meal, they she cooked three meals every day. Every meal had three types of meat. Now, what three types of meat could you bring to three meals a day? They raised lambs, of course had chickens, had cows. So we had mutton. I'd never had mutton in my life before. Lamb chops, we had we had that, we had boiled crawfish. We had every kind of meat you could imagine. And it was always cooked different. The way people talk in South Louisiana makes everything sound different. If you listen to a South Louisiana politician politician talk about anything in government or any policy or problems going on in the world you can listen to their voice and the method in which they speak and you can tell so much more about the topic they're discussing when you listen to the way they say it clay higgins in my estimation he is a south louisianian wordsmith i want you to listen to him take anthony fauci Take them to pieces without saying anything nasty or getting loud. But every question Clay Higgins asked Mayorkas here, and everything that Clay Higgins says about Fauci when he's asking him these questions, every conservative American echoes the entire thing. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I appreciate the Secretary's appearance here today. Mr. Secretary, what year were you born, sir? 1959. 1959. I was born in 61. We're from the same generation. Have you experienced failures in your life, sir, significant enough that you as a man over your six decades of life, you have a compass can help you measure failure. You know what it is as a man. I certainly do. No shame there. I'm asking you. It's an honest question. Congressman, um, I'm 62 years old. Um, Anyone who's lived for 62 years has confronted different different types of challenges, successes, and failures. Yes, sir. And there's no shame in that. That's part of our journey in life. We get knocked down, and we do our best to stand back up. I'm going to try and help put this in perspective for you, sir. I've had harsh words for you over the last couple of years. You know that. Oh, I've heard them. Yes, Congressman. Yes, sir. I hope you feel my spirit right now. I'm also a compassionate man. And I, I feel that America needs you, to, uh, needs you to own this thing. Good, sir. Do you recognize the following statement? You wrote it or someone for you wrote it. Under the Biden-Harris administration, the Department of Homeland Security has been executing a comprehensive and deliberate strategy to secure our borders 
and build a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system. Since January 2021, DHS has effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Effectively managed. You used that verbiage earlier today. Again, I suppose that's the, that's the tested and determined talking point. So I ask you, good sir, tell America, you're a gentleman, 62 years of age, a gentleman of distinguished accomplishment, you're secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Like all of us, you've experienced failure in the course of your life. You should have a compass to help you recognize it. This disaster we have at our border, the disintegration of our national sovereignty cannot be sustained. Anyone that has two brain cells that could perhaps bump into each other would know that it's abject failure down there. So if you would identify our border as effectively managed right now, how would you identify failure? What would it be? Five million crossings in a year? You had two and a half million last year. A million gotaways? You had 500,000 last year. Crime rate tripled instead of doubled. Number one cause of death from 18 to 45 year old Americans right now is overdose. Under your watch, what would it be? From five years old to 50? How would you identify failure? If it's not what you've delivered thus far, by God, man, on the moment, you've been called upon to resign by myself and others. Next year, if we have the majority in this committee, which we shall, you're still in office, you'll face impeachment. I ask you as a man, own this thing. Out of respect for you and the office, I ask you to reflect upon that. And I'll give you my remaining 45 seconds to respond. Please feel my spirit and speak truthfully. Step away from your talking points and speak to the American people and own this thing. We're losing our country down there. We need you to resign. Save the country the pain of your impeachment. I have 20 seconds, sir. Please respond. Congressman, I couldn't disagree with you more when you state that, when you state that our nation's sovereignty is disintegrating. <clears throat> well, I guess Gentlemen's, that answers that. I yield, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen's well, I guess that answers that. You heard Clay Higgins say that behind Fauci. Very, very um, morally, very ethically, no just screaming allegations, but with specific things that Americans can see and know and understand. He gave, Higgins gave Anthony, uh, Anthony Fauci, listen to me. He gave Mayorkas a way to gracefully admit that he is doing wrong things, that on his watch his department is not enforcing the rule of law. And nobody in government, nobody in the civilian life. Nobody has the right 
to ignore laws and to break laws. I don't care if you're in the White House or if you're sweeping floors in a little grocery store out in the boonies in Arizona. Nobody has the right to just willfully break the law, especially those that take an oath of office in which they say exactly the opposite. They make a commitment to protect and defend the Constitution, and the Constitution set up the rule of law and established the process why laws around the nation have been being made for 260 years in cities, towns, states, and in the United States Congress. And those are supposed to be enforced, especially by those who are in a position to do that. Like Alejandro Mayorkas is. Now let me say this. This and the response that you just heard from Mayorkas on all of this stuff that Clay Higgins was talking to him about, it's an exhibit of exactly what the left are doing here today. Now, I'm not here to beat up on the left. I During that uh, soundbite, I just scanned where people are listening in from today. We have people from Brooklyn. We have people from Coney Island, Long Island, Queens. We got a bunch of people that listen to this show. And you may not identify to the attitude and the atmosphere of being down south. And I'm not saying southern people, Cajun people, are better than people from uh, New York. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is there are differences there. And communication in the south is a big deal. Communication everywhere is a big deal. It just depends on how people... um, communicate and how people that hear things receive them. That is different. But what never changes are the facts. Truth is not opinionated. It's not at all. Truth exists in a vacuum. And it is what it is. And just because someone chooses to change their perception of truth and then begin to present that as fact, That doesn't change the facts. Clay Higgins presented the facts to Alejandro Mayorkas. And Mayorkas, after all of that, where he gracefully, Higgins gave Mayorkas a graceful opportunity to admit his wrongdoing at, on his watch, people actually dying out in the desert in southwest Texas. People are being killed. People are, uh, dead bodies are showing up. I mean, every every day there are dead bodies that are being discovered by Customs and Border Patrol agents that find them from these illegal immigrants trying to get across the border and not be caught. We have the ability and we have the responsibility to make sure that those things do not happen. And the way to make sure they don't happen is to enforce the rule of law. It's not being enforced at the White House. It's not being enforced at the FBI or the Department of Justice or at Border Patrol. And it's not at the behest of Border Patrol agents. It's at the behest of Joe Biden's hand-picked Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. And let me say this. Something has got to be done. This is just one of those things that are happening in this administration. And we're saying 
It's not working. It's wrong. Something has to be done. Clay Higgins just tried to instigate that to one of the members of the cabinet of this president, Joe Biden, Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary. They continue to push and pull and demand that their policies, their procedures, their operations are the way things are going to be done right now. And as long as they're in office, it ain't going to stop. They're going to keep doubling and tripling down on stupid and evil and illegalities and criminality and the results of it are all over this nation right now. And all of this falls at the feet of President Donald Trump. Meanwhile, as we told you in the beginning of the first hour, his son looks like he's going to walk. And if that doesn't make you want to throw up this morning, there is something wrong with you. There is not a rule of law. There's at least two. One for them, them being the politicians, the bureaucrats, and the far lefties in power, not just in government, but in big business too, that feed that thing, and of course the mainstream media. There's one set of rule of laws for them, and there's another one for you and me. Wow, chew on that. (laughs) Back in a moment. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Gonna do the same run. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks. So it's just gonna be that much more of a fun truck. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies. Not even the one through it together. Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? <laughs> remember when you bought your first house? <laughs> hey, I'm Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! (laughs) The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman. TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. Yeah, we need something to get us going. Juicy there. Good music. Thank you, Pete, for that. Well, 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 do you want to go down to the southern border? You want to have a little bit of uh, conversation about the mayhem down there? Don't you get tired every day of hearing something new is happening at the southern border? Well, let me tell you that something's not new, but it's happening. Cartels and coyotes, 
You wonder how much money they're making there? They're earning 13 billion bucks a year. 13 billion. How do we know that? Some of them, when they're caught, are giving the Department of Homeland Security, Custom Border Patrol agents, giving them information about what the process and how it is structured to get all of these economic migrants into the United States. The current revenue is 26 times larger than the $500 million the cartels earned under Donald Trump's low migration policies. Little difference there. $500 million in his four years. They're making $13 billion a year today under this administration. And this comes to a July 25th report from the New York Times, of all places. The key news buried in the 14th paragraph of that story long after the lead's focus on a 2014 smuggling crime. This is what we dug out. Listen to this. For years, independent coyotes paid cartels a tax to move migrants through territory they controlled along the border, and the criminal syndicates stuck to their traditional line of business, which is, as you know, drug smuggling, which was far more profitable. That began to change. It began to change in early 2019. Patrick Lechleitner, the acting director at U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, told Congress this last year. got buried. It never got out. The sheer number of people that are trying to cross made migrant smuggling an irresistible moneymaker for those cartels specifically that are across the border, especially the border of Texas. These enterprises have teams that specialize. Listen to this. They have logistical managers, transportation managers. They have surveillance. They have stash houses and accounting, all supporting an industry whose revenues have soared to $13 billion today from $500 million back in 2018. Now that's according to Homeland Security. Those numbers come from Mayorkas' field. This New York Times article suggests that $13 billion excludes drug revenue. Oh my gosh. $13 billion is just the smuggling revenue. And in the article, believe it or not, they tried to blame Donald Trump for the 2021 cartel revenue. They said this, Title 42, the public health order introduced by the Trump administration in 2020, has led to substantial escalation in the number of migrant encounters on the border. 1.7 million in fiscal year 2021. And brisk business for smugglers. Now, they didn't explain that allegation that they made, but let me, let me just ask you this. Title 42, that was the one that gave law enforcement in the United States at the southern border, it gave them the right when any and every migrant that comes in, when they come and try to get the, a free pass to hang around in the United States, you couldn't do it anymore. Title 42 said they could be turned away at the southern border because of public health issues. We were in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic, and the New York Times, they ignore all of that. They wanted to find a way to beat up the orange man. So the cartels and coyotes, they earn their money through smuggling. 
high interest loans and border extortion and by trafficking indebted migrants into really just shy of slavery, indentured servitude, cartel-controlled jobs, and not just along the southern border, but across the U.S. The article was written by a really good reporter at the Times, Miriam Jordan, but the paper's pro-migration editors may have buried that $13 billion news to muffle the public criticism of Biden's easy migration policies from criticism. The newspaper's top editor, Ji Lin Yang, she is the author of a 2020 pro-migration book. It's titled One Mighty and Irresistible Tide. You need to check that out. It's worth reading. One Mighty and Irresistible Tide. Since January of 21, Biden's lax policies have allowed roughly 2 million migrants to cross the border under various legal pretexts like asylum, parole, reunification, unaccompanied children, refugee status, for example. I'm going to stop right there. Let me ask you this. Why the heck, why the heck does anybody in the United States think it's okay for anybody to break the law? Any American or anybody from any other country? Why do you think it's okay to break any law? Maybe you got to be held accountable for breaking this one and this one and this one, but not these. Oh my gosh, I know that's a law, but it's unfair. It's racist. You know, the beauty of living in America and having this government that we have is that happens. There are laws that are passed, not only at the federal level, but at the state and local level. There are laws that pass that aren't really good. Maybe there are pieces of them. Maybe the original intention was good. But when it's implemented, it just doesn't work. But you know what? Instead of the general public sitting out there and screaming and hollering and just saying, we're not going to enforce that law. It's it's this. It's that. So therefore, we're just going to turn our backs on it. That's not the process. There is a process to either go back in and do away with the law legally maybe change it or maybe bring in another law. There's a way to do that. That's part of the rule of law. That is the only thing that makes the United States of America different from the operations in Mexico and Russia and China. The rule of law in those places exists unilaterally at the top. There is no government of, government by, and government for the people. That is still the case here today, though so many now are trying to tear this whole process up like it is unworthy and never worked. They want to turn this country exactly into what they screamed and hollered to Donald Trump and told us he was going to do when he started, even before he formally announced he was going to run for president. He wants to be an authoritarian. Oh my gosh, when he was in office, look at what he did. Look at what he's trying to do. He's an authoritarian. He doesn't believe in the rule of law. He wants to control everything. Donald Trump, as the commander-in-chief and as the chief executive officer of the nation, every law that was in place, he encouraged it to be enforced. 
He tried to get his law enforcement people that were headed, at least in part of his administration, by this FBI director, Christopher Wray, by his attorneys general, and he encouraged the same process to happen at the state and local level. He did everything he could do. He, more than anybody else that I can remember in my recent political career, enforced the rule of law and demanded it. And when there were laws that he didn't like, he tried to get and negotiate through Congress to get them changed. Sometimes they were. Sometimes they weren't. And when they weren't, when they, when they wouldn't change them, he understood. The rule of law says we live in a representative republic. Congress is the voice of the people at a state and at a local level, a congressional district level. So we're going, in our administration, he said, we're going to abide by what they do. This administration, tear the freaking Constitution up. Forget about it. What we're going to do is what we say is good for the American people, and we're going to cram it down the throats of all of you. Forget about the rule of law. Forget about the Constitution. We don't like what they did when they overturned Roe v. Wade. So we're just going to, we're going to protest. We're going to make all kinds of noise and we're going to tell everybody across the nation, ignore what the Supreme Court did and it's radioactive fallout in your state. We're going to make it so you can just do whatever you want to do about abortion. Forget about the constitution. Who cares? It doesn't apply to us anymore. Now they'll ever never admit to believing what I just said. They would never admit that they don't like the rule of law. But we need to stop listening to what they tell us and just concentrate on what they do. Sometimes you and I, when we try to couch what we really believe and give some answer to a question when somebody asks you about that, we just kind of want to soft pedal it a little bit, which is what Democrats have become experts at doing. One thing you got to admit, they're very committed. They're very in unison on pretty much everything. Yeah, they have some splits, and it's never been more obvious that in this Congress, you have the far left, the climate change fanatics that are ripping their party apart. And Joe Biden, throughout his career in politics, he's been a great communicator. That was one of the, the best things anybody could say about him, but he's even messing up right now. Yesterday... He argued that Donald Trump's reluctance to condemn Trump supporters for storming the Capitol on January 6th, Biden said it's proof the former president did not support police officers. Now, let me ask you this. This is our president. Yeah, he obviously has some cognitive issues. I get that. But our president is telling you and I, we lived through an era when Trump fully supported police around the nation, state and local levels, in every possible way. Do you remember what he tried to do when Portland was burning? Night after night, more than 100 nights, Portland, one of the most beautiful cities in the, the Northwest, was being torn to pieces by anarchists, by Antifa and anarchists there. This president, by the way, when he was thinking about running when all that was going on, he refused to say that these anarchists were domestic terrorists. They tried night after night to burn the federal building down in Portland, Oregon. 
the Trump administration reached out numerous times to the mayor of Portland, to the governor of Oregon, offering to send federal officers to make sure that downtown Portland didn't sustain any more problems with these night-after-night protests that turned into semi-riots. And they refused it. In fact, they told Donald Trump, the police there told Donald Trump, don't you send those people out here. We've got this. He tried to get involved in Minneapolis when the George Floyd thing happened. The governor of Minnesota said, don't come. He supported the police. Joe Biden says he doesn't. The president said Capitol Hill police officers faced medieval hell for three hours, dripping in blood, surrounded by carnage. I'm sure he said that <laughs> right off his, his chest, right? No, he was reading that off a teleprompter. <laughs> I love this. I love it. Face to face with the crazed mob that believed the lies of the defeated president. The police were heroes that day. Biden continued. Join us on Thursday. Steve Baker, photojournalist who was on the ground in January 6th and took copious amounts of video. Capitol Police did squat, at least in the first half of that thing. In fact, none of them were carrying arms for the first half of it. It was like they wanted it to happen. And oh, by the way, the only person that was killed in uh, any kind of law enforcement issue on that day was a Capitol Police person who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt, shot her from behind, hit her in the left side of her neck, severed an artery, and she bled out. She wasn't armed. She had nothing in her hands. In fact, she had her back to him trying to get through to another part of a passage in the Capitol building. Why he shot her, nobody knows. He was never, never investigated for it, even though the coroner of Washington, D.C., Ashley Babbitt, official cause of death, murder. Nothing ever happened. All kind of stuff like that. But it's Trump's fault. Trump's fault. He was speaking, Biden was yesterday, to the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executive uh, Enforcement Executives, of course, he was doing it virtually because he's got <coughs> COVID. Despite Trump's repeated vocal support of law enforcement throughout his four years as in, in his campaign as well, Biden said the president didn't care about police officers because he didn't demand his supporters back down from their protest of the 2020 election. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop, Biden said. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-America. So let me ask you this, Mr. President. I didn't hear you out there saying anything about all of those acts of insurrection and law-breaking that took place across the nation, over 200 of them, in the Trump administration, in the aftermath of the George Floyd situation in Minneapolis. Never heard you say anything about why they wouldn't label the Antifa thugs in Portland as domestic terrorists. Never would say anything about it. You never did. 
You only will say that when you're in front of people that you need to impress and get them to think that you're for them, that you're for their causes. Even when your actions say, well, that's not really the way it is. And that's what's going on. There's a lot of revelation that's now happening in mainstream media. And, and this I'm, I'm segueing to a different topic. We have so many things to talk about here. By the way, if you want to weigh in, call toll-free anytime, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. Love to chat with you. Um, but the media now, across the board, they're seeing, they're being export, exposed a little bit more every day. They're in the tank, and they ain't got facts on their side. Bill Hemmer brought something to light yesterday on Fox, and it was Katie Turr. You remember the name Katie Turr? She's an anchor on MSNBC, and she got on the air, and she began to talk about how messed up some of the thinking is, some of the talking, some of the stories, some of the narrative that are being spit out there by her fellow far-left mainstream media. Is that what you want to call them? I don't know what you want to call them. But Katie Turr, she is one. Bill Hemmer kind of analyzed what she had to say. Katie Turr did on MSNBC. The trust in in media, newspapers, and television is hitting an all-time low. People don't trust us. They don't believe us. And it makes me wonder if this job as I'm currently doing it is effective, uh, but if it's doing more harm than good. Interesting comment there. That's the MSNBC anchor Katie Turr reacting to Americans lack of confidence in the media. A new Gallup poll shows it's hitting an all time low with a tiny fraction trusting what they read in the newspaper or what they see on television. Joe Concha, media analyst for here uh, for us here. Nice to see you, Joe. Good morning. Good morning. Are you surprised morning. by her comment? Why don't we begin there? Well, surprised by her comment, why don't we? Katie Turr, you may remember November 2021, it was revealed that she was exchanging text messages with a Democratic strategist while on the air. Let me share this one. I'm texting with Katie Turr. This was according to Andrew Cuomo's advisor. Andrew Cuomo was governor at the time. Liz Smith, uh, she wrote, Katie is saying my spin live, like verbatim, unquote. So, yeah, why would we trust a Katie Turr Mm -hmm. if that's happening while she's on the air? The perception is horrible. And an Axios poll really breaks this down. We'll strip out Republicans and Democrats out of the poll in terms of voters and look at independents solely. Eight in 10 independents believe that journalists or those in the media report stories they know to be false or misleading at least sometimes. So this isn't an all shucks, we got it wrong thing. This is the perception that some in media are now pushing narratives they know aren't true. Racist Covington kids attack Native American elder. Donald Trump ignores Russian bounties on U.S. troops. Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. Or the 2022 winner, and it's only July, but this already wins. Ron DeSantis, he has a parental rights and education bill. What do you see every headline call it? Don't say gay bill, despite the fact gay is not in that document even once. The good news is that most voters support DeSantis on this, so no one really trusts the messenger anymore, despite that kind of smear It's interesting when you bring up the independents, because that is actually, the majority of the country now says that they are independent. And that they're all feeling that way, um, there is a 
a broad agreement. Might be the most bipartisan agreement that yeah. we have in the country. The other thing is President Trump, uh, he has pushed back on the Pulitzer Prizes that a lot of the newspapers and uh, other media companies got for their coverage of the Russia hoax, yeah. right? That's what he wants to call it. So he called on them to remove the awards in October. Here's a uh, call for number two. This is President Trump says, I call on the Pulitzer Prize Board to immediately rescind the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting awarded to the staffs of the New York Times and the Washington Post, which was based on false reporting of a non-existent link between the Kremlin and the Trump campaign. The Pulitzer Prize Committee says they are not going to do that. This is their statement. Both reviews were conducted by individuals with no connection to the institutions whose work was under examination nor any connection to each other. The separate reviews converged in their conclusions that no passages or headlines, contentions or assertions in any of the winning submissions were discredited by facts that emerged subsequent to the conferral of the prizes. That's a lot of words and some big words are used in there at the Pulitzer Prize yeah. Committee but to basically say we're not going to do it and we found no evidence that it would be warranted. I read that quote and hear you say it, and I, all I can think of is Naked Gun and Leslie yes. Nielsen. There's a fireworks factory exploding behind me <laughs> saying, nothing to see here, you know, all is well. You know, do, do not panic. Uh, look, um, in order for the Pulitzer Committee to remove these awards, they would have to admit that they were wrong, and therefore the Washington Post and New York Times were wrong in this reporting. If they were right, then I would imagine that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi would have drawn up articles of impeachment immediately on a Russian connection with the Trump campaign, and that never happened. And as we've seen with the Democratic Congress, they were not shy in impeaching Donald Trump over other things, but there was no there there. If there was, there would have been an article of impeachment. On. Requesting clearance, Clarence. They are masters, are the left, at coming up with things with which to use as weapons against their political foes. And I got to be honest with you, as long as Nancy Pelosi is around and breathing and Chuck Schumer the same, any conservative, especially Donald Trump, if you've done anything remotely um, unethical, remotely illegal, or something that they can use and weaponize it by just saying, oh, this is illegal, pushing that, that broke the rule of law. We got to step in. We got to make these people responsible, hold them responsible for what they did or what they said or what we can make the American people believe they did or said. Isn't it amazing? The truth, when it's out there, it always wins the argument. Always. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news, TNN. The Truth News Network. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. 
So what is the latest word salad of the day for Joe Biden and his administration? What have they got to use today to keep our focus away from facts? And we've got to just look over here. Remember we told you when Donald Trump was first running for president, we brought up the point about how he mastered when he was in business. And this is one of the reasons he was so successful during his administration. And don't go there, folks. There is on no section of life for you and me, not a single one from the beginning of his administration, January 20th of 2017, to the end. Anything and everything that he had control over was not improved, changed every time for the better for the American people. You got to throw COVID out the window when you consider those things because that was something that was brought in that nobody, nobody in government, well, I'm sure there were some, but obviously they wouldn't step forward and admit it. Nobody knew what was going on or exactly how to handle it because they could not figure out exactly what was going on. Besides that, he was stopping it. I mean, dead set and everything, very divisive, but he was a master at getting people to understand things, and when he presented them, if they were something new or something that he he knew was going to be contentious, he always introduced it in the same way. I talked about this. His method was really simple. Somebody says something if you're in a meeting or if you're in a press conference. Somebody says something. Ask a pointed question. So what you do when you begin to answer and to respond You do it, and you get really animated. And it's like you're waving your arm over here. Look at this. Look at this. Look at what I'm saying. This is the way it is. Make it a big deal. When, as that's being said, that person has the reality in their other hand behind their back. Now, that can be evil, but every time Donald Trump did it, he did it because the truth was eventually going to be in the public purview and would prove that what he had been saying and what he had been alleging was actually fact. That is a masterful way to communicate. Now, don't get me wrong. I supported Donald Trump for his policies, his ideas, and what he actually did. Not what he promised, but what he did. I hated his communication methods. I hated it. I thought he could have done so much better if he wasn't so grandiose all the time. I mean, I think you'll agree with me. He was bigger than life. He didn't need to uh, embellish anything or be more flowery, but I understand that was his name. That was his way. That's what he came to politics with. He was a billionaire from Queens and was in commercial real estate. Oh my gosh, we've got people that are looking in, listing in from New York. You know better than we do. He had a method that is very applicable and appropriate for a big-time commercial real estate developer in the greater New York area. That's just the way you operate there. He found ways to make it successful in Brooklyn and Queens and in Manhattan. And he brought that to the White House. And most Americans, most Americans did really well 
when Donald Trump was in office. So what's the latest Bidenism that's been floated out there by the propagandist in the mainstream media? Republican officials in the House and the Senate yesterday, they ripped this administration after its attempts to try to redefine what constitutes a recession. Now think about it. It's a political method. It's one that's been created and it's been in political parties for the very existence of political party, 260 years. You change the narrative. You can't change what's causing everybody consternation. You can't get anything to do and change it to make it better. So if you're in power, what do you do? You change the narrative. And what this administration and its internal economic quote-unquote experts are doing, we're in recession. I can give you, you, you've heard here, economists that say we are really already in recession. And I can tell you who knows that better than you and I do, Joe Biden and his administration, but they're not going to say it. On Thursday, ahead of a potentially negative GDP report expected later this week, in that, the annualized economic growth rate last week shrank by 1.6% in the first quarter, appears to have contracted our economy even more in the second quarter. And so the White House is doing what they do. A blog post attempted to redefine the term recession. If you can't, if you can't get out of the reality of something, why don't you just change the definition of what it is and change it enough so you can credibly say, ah, oh, that didn't apply to us. Here's how they did it. Listen to what they said. While some maintain that two consecutive quarters of falling GDP constitute a recession, that is neither the official definition nor the way economists evaluate the state of the business cycle. Hmm. Wait a minute. I thought two quarters and those things happen. That's always been the way the economists have defined what a recession is. Well, they weren't done. In addition to what you just heard in that blog post, White House National Economic Council Director Brian Deese, he claimed that a second consecutive quarter of negative GDP growth was technically not a recession. So in response, as you can imagine, Republican economists, they began to rip the Biden team for seeking to redefine what a recession is. Soviet-style propaganda from the Biden White House. That was tweeted by Representative Andy Biggs, Republican of Arizona. And then Jim Banks. You can't message your way out of a recession. (laughs) The Biden administration's top economic priority appears to be changing the definition of a recession. That's Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas. Senator Marsha Blackburn, the left tried to redefine woman. Now they're trying to redefine recession, she said. Changing the definition of a recession does not take away the pain Biden's economy is inflicting on the American people. Senator Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi. Jim Risch, 
There are very real actions we can take to reverse course and get our economy back on track. Attempting to redefine recession is not one of them. The Biden administration is trying to redefine what a recession is to cover up the Biden failing policies. Representative Claudia Tinney, Republican from New York. Come on now. Come on now. Why do they feel like they need to redefine it when we know it? We're living through it. Where the rubber meets the road at your house. Are you seeing anything different in your economic life? Of course you are. Everything's more expensive if you can find it. And this administration, much of what we're living in right now came from what they did or didn't do. And we're really in deep doo-doo about this stuff. And I mean this sincerely. Why? Because it's not going to change unless they change it. Remember what I tell you here all the time. Nothing changes if nothing changes. You got something bad going on in your life. You got something bad going on in your family. Maybe your relationship with your spouse. Well, guess what? Whatever the circumstances are that cause the problems in anything and everything that you're dealing with in your life. If you want to get out of them, you can't get out of them if you keep doing everything the same way. You want to change it? Change something that goes into making it what it is that you don't like. On Monday's CNN newsroom, White House Council of Economic Advisors member Heather Bushy stated that while the White House is looking for positive growth in our economy and GDP, the expectations are that GDP growth in the second quarter will be small to negative. But, they said, of course, here we go. We're not going to take responsibility for anything. They didn't say that, but that's what they believe. What they did say is, quote, but we are recovering from a historic pandemic. And that's a lot of the negative growth number in the first quarter. It was due to inventory changes. I'll agree with her there. It was due to inventory changes because you guys let the supply chain lay there, didn't do anything about it, and it never has caught up. There are no products and goods like the American people need and have needed in your entire administration. And so there's no money in the economic structure. And so everything's going negative. Bushy said, well, certainly we're looking for positive growth in the second quarter. Expectations are that it'll be small to, it'll be small to negative. She did say that. But here's the thing. We're recovering from a pandemic. Now, her doing that, that is just another talking point that came over from the Obama-Biden administration. What they did for their first term, their first four years, when they look back at anything and everything bad that happened on their watch the first four years. Oh, my gosh. Everything was because of Bush 43. Look what he left us when we took over. This was in shambles. There was nothing good there. We had to fix it and we're fixing it. We're on the road to getting it right. And of course, everything good that had happened in the Bush 43 administration that carried over to the Obama-Biden administration, it wasn't because of George W. Bush and anything he did. It was because of what Joe and Barack did. Oh, look at what we did for you. In the second four years of that administration, 
They kept telling us over and over and over again, look at what we did, look at what we did. We got this, we did this. Oh my gosh, we got you Obamacare. Anything bad that happened, it wasn't their fault. It's because they couldn't get Congress to go along with them. And if Congress had followed through with the legislation, with the policies that we had put out there that would have fixed all these things, if they had done it, we would be in a much better place. It's their fault. They never took responsibility for anything bad. Exactly what's happening in the Biden administration. Exactly. Now, what's the biggest thing that leaders in the Democrat Party, the political ones, you know, the ones that are out there talking about midterm candidates and then looking ahead at the 2024, what did they say about Republicans? They have no vision. They don't present anything positive. They just are all negative. They want to attack everything about everybody that doesn't agree with what they do, which is pretty much what Democrats do. But forget about that for a second. There's a summit going on. And a lot of news, a lot of speakers coming out of it. Republican, other conservatives there that are, are speaking in mass. And guess what's coming out of that summit? The Republicans have specific ideals, specific plans for the American future. I mean, complete with details. I bet you didn't know this. You thought we were those lackeys, those Republicans that all we ever do is throw rocks at Democrats and their policies, and we tear up the goods that they want to do. (laughs) Not so. Hear about it next. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup, like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Passat. One and the always popular. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53... I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids, only at Carl's Jr. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Looking ahead, Andy Wakefield will be with us tomorrow morning at 9.30. I'll tell you more about him before we get to the end of this hour today. 
But this is a guy, he's a British guy, and uh, he has done and written and spoke some of the most amazing things that you will not want to miss him, Andy Wakefield. Tell you more about him at the end of this hour. He'll be here at 9.30 tomorrow morning. But back to this summit, this thing that's going on, and uh, it's involving a lot of a lot of people. Um, I just lost, where am I? Here I am. It happened in Washington. I couldn't remember where it was. Republicans have forged a vision for the future. Democrats say Republicans don't have one, but they do. Trump flirts with announcing his run to retake the White House that pretty much everybody believes is going to happen. His loyalists, the Trumpers, uh, I guess you call the super MAGA folks, they gathered in D.C. for the America First Policy Summit. A key speech suggested Trump was part of something bigger than himself. Oh my gosh, we all thought, based upon the Democrat narrative, that Trump was only about Trump, right? Nancy, uh, Newt Gingrich, Nancy Pelosi, wow, what a faux pas. In uh, a speech at the summit, Gingrich traced Trump's policies to those of a 1994 contract with America. If you were around, you remember that. Newt was the Speaker of the House. This was the second four years of the Bill Clinton administration. And he actually he almost got beaten his re-election did Clinton. He actually came away from the election with his hat in his hand, and he worked together with Gingrich and the Republicans. And they got a lot of things done. First time that had happened in 40 years. He then traces the America First politics further back to Reagan's presidency and the Reagan agenda, even back as far as 1965. We were standing on Reagan's shoulders he said, talking about the contract with America, Newt, from 1994. He spoke yesterday to the attendees. And this group, America First, is is set up in 2021 to continue the work on the Trump agenda, even with him out of office. The summit featured more than 150 leading conservative voices. That includes president and former members of Congress, some other high-ranking administration officials, Trump is going to deliver the big speech tonight. So as these Republicans are trying to win back Congress, Gingrich called on them to run a big campaign, not a little one. And what is that about? Well, he said the campaign should be based on serious questions that face all Americans, like rising food and energy costs, a crime wave aggravated by Progressive prosecutors that won't enforce the law. Foreign policy weakness. Schools disregarding parents' wishes about what their kids are taught. Let me just say this. When you look at everything that is happening right now, all of the big things that pop up in the Biden administration that are directly responsible to Biden policies, don't you think if you were out there and you were writing the script for somebody that would have an opportunity to get up and coerce others around them to look and listen to the points that this person plans on if he's given leadership to fix each one of this, 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 and this. Don't you think that's an agenda? Newt said that Republicans that are running for office should ignore Democrat distractions like Raphael Warnock's attack, 
His attack ads are pretty bad on Herschel Walker and Georgia's Senate campaign. He called a Stalinist show trial disguised as a congressional hearing. Newt did about the January 6th hearing. Americans are tuning that out, and we really are. I mean, this January 6th thing, it's like a a three-ring circus. And if you read the story, the front-page story at truthnewsnet.org today, Steve Baker goes into the horrible lies coming out of that committee, specifically by its chair. You need to read that. In 94, Reaganism, real capitalism, it worked. When Reagan not only swept office back in 1980, setting the stage for politics, conservative politics, all the way up through 94 and since, Reagan had gathered all the Republican candidates on the Capitol steps before the election to commit to that platform, and it worked. At his very first cabinet meeting, Reagan plunked down a thousand-page document that came from the Heritage Foundation and said, quote, this is the policy of my administration. And the Reagan administration, they hired most of the 250 experts who had written that report to actually go and execute the report. So, the America First agenda, it lists basic fundamental principles kind of like the contract with America from 94. What's included in it? Make energy independent. Provide safe and secure communities so all Americans can live their lives in peace. Deliver peace through strength and American leadership. The first time Gingrich ran for Congress back in 74, he learned one fundamental rule from Ronald Reagan. Find that 80% issue. Stand next to it and smile. The crowd responded well. I'm a big believer in a vision, Chuck Williams, former assistant secretary of the Navy under Trump, said. That was the whole concept of the contract with America. It means a lot to me. You know what? You can look in your past, and we all should look at our past. But not looking at our past to denigrate anybody or talk bad about anybody, but to look at what's in it and see what was good, and find ways to implement it in today's operations of our lives. But even more so, what we should do is find ways to make things better. You know what's happening now in the media? They don't want Joe Biden in office, and they're encouraging, they are encouraging, the Washington Post is encouraging Joe Biden to step down. Washington Post op-ed calling for President Joe Biden to step aside, writing, quote, unless Biden announces that he is not running for re-election, this quiet campaign against him will intensify, whether it comes from people who intend to challenge Biden in the primaries in 2024 or just to flex their muscles to discourage him from running again. Joining the conversation all morning long, Laffer, Tangler Investments Chief Investment Officer and CEO Nancy Tangler and National Taxpayers Union Executive Vice President Brandon Arnold. Nancy, your reaction to this, it's the people, essentially. We don't need, uh, who wrote this? It was Steve Eisenberg wrote this op-ed in the uh, 
Washington Post. But the American people are telling Joe Biden not to run. That New York Times poll found 64% of Democrats want somebody else to, to be their candidate in 2024. Yeah, and I thought what was so interesting about that uh, op-ed, Dagan, was that, you know, he, the, the author said that it, it wasn't that the president wasn't a strong president. It's just that uh, he's not getting credit for it. I think that's what the polls are for, and I, I I can't I can't understand why anyone is surprised that at 78 with some obvious cognitive issues this president would be weak. So, I, you know, the wolves are circling, very early. Yeah, the wolves, namely Gavin Newsom and right. J.B. Pritzker, to name two of them. There's a story in the journal in the in the Wall Street Journal today about. Many Democrats are looking beyond Biden and Brandon to that point that even members of his own party don't want to be standing who are running for election or reelection in the midterms, don't want to stand alongside Joe Biden. And I'll just point to say Tim Ryan and even the candidate for governor, Nan Wally, in, in Ohio, when Biden was in Cleveland recently, they said they had scheduling conflicts to prevent them from having to be near him. Yeah, I'm sure that's very, very likely. But in truth, what, the, what this hotbed said was what everyone in Washington has been saying for a long time, and that is this president is an albatross around the necks of Democratic candidates right now. And there's two things that are dragging down Democratic candidates. It's Biden and it's inflation. And there's only so much they can do about inflation. In fact, they've mostly made it worse. But there's one thing they can do about Biden, and that's put him on the back bench, get him out of the public eye. And the sooner they do that, the more quickly they do that, the better Democrats are going to fare this November. Nancy, I'm going to add this before we move on to, um, to markets as we get this show rolling. It's not Biden that's the problem. He may be doddering and kind of out of touch and confused often. It's his policies, and his policies are the Democrats' policies. If anything, it's not his decision-making. It's the decision-making among these left-wing nuts who are surrounding him in the White House. And by the way, the Democrats are worried about Biden in their midterm election. They've been in control of the House and the Senate for the last two years. This is a, this is a disaster of the Democrats' making, not Biden. They're just trying to use him as a scapegoat. I totally agree. I mean, from cabinet secretary to cabinet secretary, you see people who are ill-prepared for the job, who are following progressive policies at their peril. Um, and there's a great article in the Wall Street Journal uh, that uh, it was the Alicia Feeney, uh, Finley piece mm -hmm. on, you know, paying people to stay home and that it did, in fact, do that. Transfer pay payments caused people to stay home, spend more, and then we threw a lot more money at it at long after we should have with the American Rescue Plan, I think, or Recovery mm -hmm. Plan, whatever it was called. And so that they are, their policies are responsible for inflation. Add to that energy uh, and energy policy where we're now dependent and uh, we're going to other countries hat in hand and, and countries that produce really dirty gas and energy. So I, I think the average American sees that and that is reflected in the polls. You know what's happening is everyday Americans we're living through all of the mess. Nobody needs to tell us what's going on in our lives. That's all Democrats do is they tell us what's going on. And it's not because the bad stuff is not because of anything Democrats are doing. Oh my gosh. It's because of this and this and this and this. That's the fundamental philosophy there. And then they tell us, hey, 
We'll fix it. But they never tell us what they'll do to fix it. Oh, they'll tell us we'll get Congress to pass this trillion dollar bill, this trillion dollar bill, we're going to do that, we're going to give this to this, and it's all a bunch of promises, but there's never a plan in place to make changes. Americans, not the news media, Americans understand there are desperate things that are wrong in our government. Things are happening that are causing desperate circumstances among all of us American people. And we're not getting a cohesive plan from this administration, anybody in it. I mean, look at look at the cabinet. Look at the cabinet. Look at people leaving the White House all the way top to bottom in the various cabinet positions and also in the Biden White House. And look at what's happening in the vice president's her office and their people there. These people are pretty good people, most of them that are leaving. Why are they all bailing? They know these things are wrong, but they're watching the leaders, which would be Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, not doing anything about them. There are no cohesive plans. There's nothing put out there. There are a bunch of empty promises. That's all they have. So they can't give us any answers. All they do is continue to deny and deflect, deny and deflect, and refuse to take accountability for anything. And the only thing they have to offer you and me are empty promises without any factual information. Wow. 19 minutes left in the show today. Remember, Andy Wakefield's going to be with us. Want to tell you all about him. We'll do that, and we've got more before we get done here today at TNN Live. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita. What them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. 
It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So I mean you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. It's one of the best songs from the 80s. Michael McDonald. Golly. What a voice this guy had and has. I guess he's one of my uh, favorite musicians of all time. And I'm a musician. I'm a keyboard guy. Uh, He's got that unmistakable voice that uh, I can tell you this. The women in my life, wife and daughters, when they hear him sing with that big, big, big voice, they just go, my gosh. And then Marianne, my wife, Back at the very beginning of when he came to the Doobie Brothers. When was that? That was in uh, 78, 79. Right along then, remember, did Taking It to the Streets, this song you just heard, did uh, Minute by Minute, What a Fool Believes, those great songs, those big hits. When he was on television, he's got piercing blue eyes and that thick brown hair at the time. It's real gray now. But uh, I had a chance to talk to him Uh, He was on the Larry King show, radio talk show. Remember that? And I was sitting there listening to it in my office and they opened it up for calls. I picked up the phone and called and I got through. Couldn't believe it. So they throw me on the air. And the first thing I said to Larry was, hey, Larry, you got a great guest on there tonight. Michael McDonald is there. Can I uh, talk to him for a second? Of course, Larry said, sure, go ahead. And I told Michael, I'm, I'm a big fan, love your music. My wife especially loves you. In fact, I got to tell you this. She has told me since you appeared on the music scene that if she ever left me for anybody, it would be you. <laughs> he had no idea what to say. I don't know how I got off on that, but I got off on that. There are some things I want to talk to you about. You know Liz Cheney. She's the congressman from the state of Wisconsin. Did you know there's only one congressional district for the whole state of Wisconsin? And she's held that seat for years now. Well, because of all of her anti-Trump activities and her angst against um, the people that support Donald Trump, and of course she hates the president, she got involved in this January 6th committee. In her run for re-election in November for that seat in the Congress, of Wisconsin. She trails, even in the primary, Harriet Hagerman, who is running against her there. She trails, Liz does, by 20 points. And so what's she going to do? She can't be reelected. She knows that, but she's a political heavyweight. So what has the legacy media done regarding Liz? They've come up with a plan. Their plan, they are hyping Liz Cheney for a 2024 presidential run. The first time I heard this, I I was just shocked. 
I mean, what does that do? Does that tell everybody what Democrats' plan is? You find a rhino, somebody that's been against you for everything you've done all these years, but now she's discredited in a big part of the Republican Party. Hey, let's see if we can get her to come over here with us. We'll support her, and we can use some of her uh, people that like her and have followed her all these years and get them on our side to help us beat any Republican that runs in 2024. She's down 30 points right now to Harriet Hageman in Wisconsin. There's no way she'll be able to make that up. She was first elected to Congress back in 2016. Six years later, her political career, it's on the rocks. And it's all because of her fixation on Donald Trump. She hates him. And by the way, Trump won Wyoming in 2020, 70% of the vote. And according to Cheney's uh, pollsters out there, Cheney's opposition to Trump is the number one reason she's going to lose to Hageman. Is she finished? Well, in an article in The Week, Harold Mass, the author, said this, losing this primary won't end Cheney's political career. Conservatives might see Cheney differently after Trump is gone. On Meet the Press on Sunday, Chuck Todd, the host, asked Democrat-Republican Representative Elaine Luria of Virginia if Cheney would be a 2024 contender if she loses her Wyoming primary. If she doesn't come through this primary and come back to Congress, there are so many things that she can do in the future for our country. I don't want to speculate. This is Luria talking. She said herself she doesn't know what her future plans would be. And then the Associated Press, they picked up on it. They hyped a potential Cheney 2024 bid with the title, Liz Cheney Braces for Primary Loss as Focus Shifts to 2024. So let me encourage all of these Democrats out there, please, please go down that road. Find a way to prop up Liz Cheney on the Democrat ticket to run against whoever the Republican Party puts up in 2024 to replace this president. If she goes to the top, oh my gosh, it will be a bloodletting on Election Day in 2024. But we got a lot to get done before we get to 2024, don't we? We haven't even talked about the medical front. I don't even know if what I'm about to talk to you about is about the medical front. You probably heard this, the WHO, World Health Organization, the director, General Tedros, took an unprecedented measure. It's never happened this way before. Over the weekend, he ignored the agencies, the WHO's special advisory committee. And on his own, he went out and he just declared that the spread of monkeypox is a public health emergency of international concern. He has no medical background. His own admission that the risk of it spreading was at worst moderate. And by the way, he's the very first WHO director general who is not a medical doctor. And he got his job after being accused of helping cover up multiple outbreaks of cholera in Ethiopia. That's where he's from. He served as foreign affairs minister there and health minister under the now outlawed Marxist party in Ethiopia. 
And this is the guy that he hangs out in Washington, D.C., excuse me, in New York City in Manhattan on the south end of the island in the U.N. building. So as head of the WHO, he's faced a bunch of criticism for not reacting sufficiently quickly to an outbreak of Ebola in Africa, more prominently for failing to declare the spread of coronavirus a global emergency and later a pandemic, and now he's the monkeypox guy. What is this all about? Worldwide, there are only, as of yesterday, there may be more than today, but there are only 60,000 cases of reported monkeypox. I mean, you compare that with the cases of millions of COVID infections around the world. Why would he do that, and why would he do it on his own? Well, as you and I both know, there are people behind the scenes, big heavyweights, a lot of names that we know that are involved in the medical stuff about everything to do around the world because they're using it for political purposes. Don't think that this was an accident. Don't think that naming monkeypox an international medical threat was just accidental. What's going on with that? We're going to find out. I'm not going to speculate right now, but we're keeping our eye on it. It's out there, and it's one of those important things that we need to keep our eyes on. Meanwhile, COVID-19, what's going on with it now? Maybe it's gone away, right? Well, just one week after Biden claimed people vaccinated against COVID couldn't get infected, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky contradicted him and warned all of us that vaccination wasn't even reducing viral loads in infected people. And that meant that they became transmitters of the virus to others. So to justify that sweeping vaccine mandate for large employers and healthcare workers, Biden continued claiming for a couple of months that vaccination stops transmission. And he got fact-checked all along the way. He got four Pinocchios from the Washington Post. And the data from around the world just contradicted him saying that. So with the fully vaccinated and boosted Joe Biden and Senator Joe Manchin both contracting COVID in the past week and then Fauci got it several weeks ago, federal narratives on vaccine effectiveness, they're changing it. This is what they do. While the country, me and you, is progressively souring on each new authorization. Harvey Risch, you hear him here regularly at Teen and Live. He's an epidemiologist, the chief one at Yale University. He theorized that the antibodies that are generated by COVID vaccines based on long outdated viral strain don't bind so well. That's his term. Don't bind so well to the newer variants such as Omicron. Those old antibodies are covering up the surface of the virus, keeping the virus from getting attacked by the new antibodies that the immune system is making in response to all these new variants that we got to watch for. Less than 3% of kids aged six months through four years old have received a first vaccine dose in their first month of authorization. That's according to real data. Two weeks in, when the numbers peaked, only 1.4% had gotten a first dose. This means, in contrast to figures for 5 to 11-year-olds, 
little over 9% of whom had received a first dose two weeks after authorization. Full series vaccination is stalled at two-thirds of the population ages five and up and a single booster at 34%. What does all this mean? What it means, what we're being told, ain't what really it is. And I know that's a shock for you. And in COVID world, that's the way it's been. Things aren't what they seem. Andy Wakefield with us here tomorrow morning, 9.30 sharp. A medical guy, former doctor, and he is an activist. He's a Brit. You are going to love sharing with him tomorrow. Don't you dare miss it. Thursday, Steve Baker and another guest with us on Friday. A busy week at TNN Live. Thank you for sharing it with us today, Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m.